Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we dig in a little more depth into the passages that we looked at on Sunday. I'm Mandy. I'm Seb. On Sunday, Dave preached from Genesis chapters 39 to 41, and we saw that God had not forgotten Joseph, even when in the midst of those 13 long years, it may have looked like it. Mm. Rather, we saw that through the trials that Joseph endured, that our great God was at work in fulfilling the promises he'd made to Abraham all those years ago, and that the hardships that Joseph endured ensured that he was in a place of honour and privilege that would mean that he could be a blessing to his brothers and, in fact, the whole world. But those events are actually for next week. Mm. Where we were left yesterday was to be encouraged that in all of the ups and downs, the highs and lows, we're called to remember that God is present. He is at work in and through us to bring about our salvation. He has not and will not forget. So we're challenged to stay the course and continue to trust in him. It's a great story and uh, one of my favourite parts of the Bible and so helpful to actually hear those uh, three chapters just unpacked in a way that just captures Mm. that journey of the prisoner, the prince and uh, and also showing that even amidst Joseph's hardship, um, that that doesn't testify at all to God's absence. And I love the way that Dave highlighted, mm. actually, no, it's God's presence. That's the thing that we keep being reminded of, that Joseph holds fast to. Mm. It's, it's interesting that you s- talk about God's presence, because I kind of feel like we're missing someone's presence. Yes, we've got uh, the bosses away <laughs> and the mice will play. <laughs> uh, Dave's off on holidays this week and hopefully having a great time at the snow. And uh, we wish him very well. Uh, speaking of the mice, so we are, uh, you know, small animals. We are looking to do just a mini episode for Sermon Seasonings this week uh, because Dave's not with us. So, Seb, what are we going to do? We're going to go with a three, two, one episode to keep us on track. So we're looking at three chapters, two years in jail and one key secret that ties it all together. Okay, so I guess three, two, one, let's go. Let's do it. All right, so we've got three chapters, chapters 39, 40, and 41. And in those three chapters, we're going to think about three Ps, so place, people, and presence. Presence. Um, I mean, I was going to say anyone would think that we're preachers that need (laughs) to have three points starting with the same letter. (laughs) We took a while thinking of them. (laughs) Um, All right, let's think about the place. So uh, just as a way of mentally remembering those three chapters, Chapter 39 takes place in Potiphar's household and we're hearing the whole story of what goes down there. Chapter 40, we're in prison and we're kind of down in the depths of the pit with Joseph. And then chapter 41, we're in Pharaoh's palace and and we see the kind of elevation and exaltation of Joseph take place. Yep. And so then when we're thinking about people, uh, chapter 39 really focuses on Potiphar and Potiphar's wife and then the interaction with Joseph there in chapter 41 we see those two prominent, prominent people. people. Yeah, we get the, um, the cupbearer cup and, and the, the baker. Um, and we also kind of get the introduction there that they're there because they um, are part of Pharaoh's um, inner circle. And something's gone although wrong. Although on, on the outer <laughs> of the inner circle. Um, and then in chapter 41, we really see the way that it's then Pharaoh, but also that Joseph is rising in prominence there. Yes. And so, you know, is this where we, we add another P here and, you know, Joseph, the prince of Egypt. I like it. And then presence was our third one. 
And that taps into the idea, something that Dave drew attention to at the beginning is we're not to miss the link between the successfulness and prosperity of Joseph and, and in a sense, what he brings to those around him as well. But in a sense, there's a reason for that. Yes, because we see that it's actually because the Lord is with Joseph. Mm. Um, Let me read uh, 39 verse 2. So the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. So we see that clear link there between Joseph being there, the Lord being with Joseph and Mm. Joseph's presence then actually blessing um, Potiphar's household. And so we see kind of a similar idea in chapter 40, although it's a little bit different, but we get the idea that it's the captain of the guard actually doesn't worry about what's happening with Joseph. And so that's at the very end of chapter 39. It actually reminded me of um, the Shawshank Redemption movie where you have, I've forgotten the main character's name, but he ends up being he ends up being entrusted with the library and just suddenly uh, it's the best run kind of yep. prison by the end of his time there. So, yep. <laughs> so while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Mm. And we then see that what happens there is that uh, in chapter 40, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confirmed. And yet 41 doesn't start in quite the same way, whereas 39 and 40 started with, you know, Potiphar's household benefited from Joseph there and then mm-hmm. the prison guard actually ends up with, you know, a prison that's operating mm-hmm. very well with Joseph looking after things. 41 doesn't quite start on that note. Uh, yep, no, but it's kind of Dave's rule of threes. One of these things is often not like the other. Mm. But where chapter 41 ends is actually in the way that Joseph becomes a blessing to the people that are there. So there's a couple of uh, ways that we see that there. So there's a little bit where I love the way that Joseph um, – in the way that he names his sons, you very much see that God is with him. So Manasseh, because mm. God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. And then Ephraim, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. But then we actually see the way that Joseph's presence provides blessing. Mm. So the seven years of abundance in Egypt, in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Mm. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egypts, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. And there's a sense in which Pharaoh recognises that God Mm. is with this one. I mean, he says in 38, so Pharaoh asks him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Mm. And so even though it's not quite the same phrase, the Lord was with him, he was. Yes. (laughs) Pharaoh spoke more truly than he knew. Mm. So there's some of the threes that help us to kind of orient us to what we actually covered in those three chapters. So what's our two? 
Great. So we looked at three, the places, the people, and the presence. Now we're on two. And uh, chapter 41 starts on the note of saying, when two full years had passed. And I, when Dave mentioned that, it's a long time. Yeah, like two years, two years in jail. And he just nailed it too. Yeah. His interpretation about the, the dreams was spot on. Mm. And you sort of expect, oh, well, won't it go well here? Yeah. Yet for two years he's left waiting. Um, two kind of also, we see a few pairs that come up here, don't we? That in yep. the middle chapter, chapter 40, we meet two new people yep. and they're, the cupbearer and the baker, and they yep. have two dreams. Yes, so uh, let me read from chapter 40 from verses 4 to 8. So the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Great. So we met the two prominent officials and they've given their dreams and uh, lo and behold, Joseph's interpretation comes exactly as he said. Yeah. Uh, and that's not so good news for the baker, but it's great news if you're the cupbearer. Indeed, indeed. But that's not the only set of two, is it? Now we get another pair in the next chapter as well with Pharaoh's two dreams. Do you want to pick that mm. up with us? Yep. So from chapter 41, verse 1, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream he was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. And then we see just a little further down in verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting though, straight away, <laughs> is it, I cannot do it. It's not me. It's not me, Joseph <laughs> replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Uh, which just shows the whole way along that Joseph's not going to take the credit and mm. that he knows that any ability that he has to interpret correctly is from the Lord. Mm. Um, and just a little further on, it's interesting what Pharaoh, is it Pharaoh has to say? Verse 25? Well, no, it's Joseph that says it to Pharaoh in yes, verse 25. Right. Yeah. Um, so when so these two dreams, uh, Joseph actually says to Pharaoh, mm, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that come up afterwards are seven years and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Yes, it's very interesting. And then if you drop down to verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Mm. And so there's this real clarity that Joseph Mm. has about the fact that the dreams are coming in two um, is a a way of saying this is definitely going to happen 
and it will happen soon. And yet at the same time, we can't help as readers of Genesis, but remember, well, if Joseph knows that, how much more would he have known that to be true when he was mm. a 17-year-old back in chapter 37 with his brothers recalling the two dreams that God had given him as well? Yeah, because I think it is one of those things that at the time when we had the two dreams in chapter 37, I don't know that we necessarily knew what to make of that there were two of there them that that were obviously about the same thing. Yes. Um, but yet here we get later on, we get the two dreams of Pharaoh and very clearly God actually gets Joseph to say the whole, well, these two things mean the same thing and they're the certainty of, you know, it's been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Yes, and so there's this expectation we have and I think it's right to see that Joseph probably had too where it is a sense in which he's still waiting for the time when the sheaves will bow down to him and the 11 stars will bow down to mm. him. And yet, you know, the, his interpretation of the cupbearer and the baker came true. We're going to see the interpretation come true for Pharaoh as well. Uh, uh, but he's still in the waiting phase, waiting on the Lord mm. for his own dreams mm. uh, and in the midst of hardship as well. Mm. Like a, there's a soonness to it and yet, uh, and yet the soon doesn't feel so soon. That's one I think we'll get to later, but it feels a bit like the tension of the age that we live in. Yes, where we're looking back and looking forward. And I think in the bigger picture of Genesis 2, it points us to another kind of partial fulfillment that we see in twos in these uh, three chapters. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're reminded back to the promises that Abraham made to, uh, sorry, that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, um, particularly that. Uh, he would bless Abraham and his descendants and that his descendants would be a blessing to the nations as well. Yep. And when we looked at presence, we actually saw the way that Joseph has already been a blessing to those uh, who he serves. You know, we saw the way that he blessed Potiphar. We've seen the way that he blesses the prison guard in the way that goes there. And I guess you're alluding to what we're going to see. We see the, the beginning of here and we're going to see more of next week. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, we, I mean, Potiphar's household prospers because of Joseph's mm. presence. And then we're going to see Egypt as well. That mm. Egypt, with the interpretation that Joseph gives Pharaoh, they are forewarned of something which would otherwise have been absolutely disastrous mm. for them as a nation. Uh, and yet the partial fulfillment is that the, the note that, 41 ends on is that and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe not only throughout Egypt but but everywhere Everywhere. else as well yeah so there's a a sense in which blessing comes to the nation of Egypt but also to all the nations around and it's just a glimpse of a partial fulfillment of Abraham's promise so that's what we see in our twos and we're about to come then to the one Which leads us to the one key secret to it all, and that is the one true saving God and his saving purposes. Surprise, surprise. We get to the (laughs) one and we go straight to God. (laughs) Exactly. And if chapter 41 ends on the note of, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere, there's a bit of a hint and a foretaste to where this story is going. And uh, if we were to fast forward to the last chapter in Genesis, there's one of those key verses which will be familiar to uh, a number of people who've read Genesis Genesis before, but it's when Joseph addresses his brothers and says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Mm -hmm. 
And so if we didn't quite know, well, why did, you know, why did Joseph not end up kind of you know, having yep. being rescued you know, earlier? Why, why did God let him even be sold into slavery in the first place? Exactly. And in chapter 39, you sort of expect that, you know, when he resists the temptation of Potiphar's wife, who's pressing him and pressing him and pressing him, you kind of expect it to go well. I mean, that's mm. the proverbial thing that, you know, Proverbs 5 to 7, it's sort of saying if the faithful one is rewarded for their faithfulness and yet the opposite happens. Mm. You know? But if Joseph hadn't ended up in the royal prison, he would never have met the cupbearer or the baker or had a pathway into Pharaoh's household and presence himself. Yep. So we really see there the way that none of this is an accident. Um, it's not like these events are random things that have just happened to Joseph. We actually see God's hand at work in all that has happened to actually bring things to this point because God actually has a plan and a purpose to fulfill. Yes, and I love the line that Dave used for that, that hardship does not testify to God's absence mm. that actually and I think the Bible study this week for growth groups picks up on that theme of mm. God's providence and in a sense remembering what is so hard to see in the midst of it but actually in on reflection as we look back on our lives we can and as we look back in the scriptures and back to the past we see how God has acted and his faithfulness and how how he's always stayed in control mm. and so we see not only a God who's in control but the key secret to it all is that he's promised his presence to his mm. people. Um, yeah. And I love that theme that we've we've kind of been tracing mm. through the story of the patriarchs so far. We might just do a quick uh, reminder of the times where God promises to be with his people. Yeah, so that, that whole idea of God's presence with his people. So it's in passages like Genesis 28 when Jacob, it's just after Jacob's had his dream and God has spoken to him and he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Mm. So he's a Lord who's been with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob. And then we're seeing in these chapters that he's with Joseph even even in uh, when he's sold out by his mm. brothers to Egypt and even when he's in, in the bottom of a pit in prison. Um, but then it becomes a theme that carries through with the nation of Israel as mm. well. Yeah. So, I mean, Exodus, Exodus. Um, you know, pick up on Moses. So again, you've got the person who God has chosen to lead his people out um, from Egypt and into uh, the the land. Um, and God has promised that he's going to go with Moses. He's going to be with Israel. And so in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, we read, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Mm. And then I just love the way he picks up that whole like God's presence brings rest. Mm. So it's not only will he be with them, but actually in him you will find rest. Yes. And off the back of their imprisonment and their mm. slavery and, and he's delivered them from that. And yet there's a confidence that as they move forward to the land that's been promised to them, that God's going to be with them. Mm. Um and if you fast forward through the the history line of Israel, even even when it comes to their exile to Babylon, uh, God remains with them. Mm. But we're, we're taking the fast route for the mini episode, so yep. we get the coming of the coming of the Lord Jesus, exactly. <laughs> who's who's called, given the name Emmanuel, 
uh, yep. God with us. Yeah, I was going to say it's your chance to show off your Greek because Dave's not here, Seb. So yeah, <laughs> Emmanuel means God with us. And I love the promise that um, the God with us, or want the Word become flesh, that Jesus gives to His people, the Church, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, when he when you get that great commissioning on the mountain, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and uh, we can't but help. Be reminded that Joseph is goes from prisoner to prince. He's elevated. There's not just his humiliation, but his exaltation. And the same is true in in a type form. That that's just a foreshadow of Jesus's exaltation. Um, and the one who has been resurrected and then ascends promises, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Mm. So we live as God's people with a promise of God's presence, and we see in Acts two that that uh, promised spirit, that the promised spirit of God, has been poured out on His people as well. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, we're waiting on mm-hmm. the fulfillment, the the final fulfillment of being in the presence of the Lord as well, mm. which takes us to the very end of the Bible. Yep, so Revelation chapter 21. Um, so we've got that picture there of, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Mm. And we live in between those mm. two things where we, we've been given a promise that God will, that Jesus will be with us always. We have his promised spirit in us and yet we're waiting for the day where we'll, be, we'll see him face to face. So what does it look like to live the, in the in-between zone? Mm. Which I think really that's part of the challenge then of how we apply all of what we've learnt um, from the sermon and as God's word has spoken mm. to us because we know that as we wait for that time and that perfect picture that's there, we're going to come across challenging circumstances. There's going to be situations that it just feel overwhelming and difficult. And I think that one of the challenges for us is to make sure that those challenging circumstances that we face mean that we run to God Mm. and find our shelter in him, not run away from him and think that he's somehow forgotten us and stopped caring. Yes, yes. And it's it's trusting, isn't it, that he's Mm. with us in the highs and the lows. Mm. And yet we're not Joseph, but we can relate to Joseph's story and we can relate to Jesus's story because... Mm. He's the hero. He's mm. the one who laid down his life for us as a suffering servant and trusted God, perfectly faithful, endured temptation, uh, even to the depths of being killed on a cross and was exalted and vindicated. Mm. And we are now joined to him and in, in a sense invited to take up our cross mm. and follow him too. Yeah. And I think there's just so there's so much richness that the scriptures actually give us that help us to express that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm taken back to the psalm series that we did and the way that the psalms so often actually give us language to express uh, what's going on. And so Psalm 62 in verse 1, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Mm. It's such a great uh, picture of the way that we can trust in him whatever is going on. Mm. And I, I stumbled across Joseph in the Psalms recently in Psalm 105 and uh, and that Psalm begins, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. And then it does, a, as some of the Psalms do, does a recursor through some of what God has done in mm. Israel's history. And uh, when you get to verse 17, it says, 
uh, or 16, he called down famine on the land and destroyed all the supplies of food, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. Mm. It's just a reminder that mm. Joseph being put in prison would have been awful. Mm. You know, and yet it was all part of God's good plan and saving purposes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm making way too big of a leap here, mm. but when I think of uh, Joseph in prison and the way that he continues to trust in our great God, um, I'm reminded of Paul um, and 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 17, where he talks about, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Mm. And I'm often struck by that because I just think, Paul, you are imprisoned you are being persecuted your freedom has been taken away and you're able to declare that as a light and momentary troubles because his perspective is just right Mm. um in a way that i think it shines a light on us to go the i can so easily think that my problems are the biggest problems in the world Mm. um and i think it's sometimes because they're mine Mm. um and just getting that perspective right that goes no even in the lowest of lows, uh, my God has promised to be with me. Mm. Um, And it doesn't necessarily take those troubles away, but it actually reminds me that there is one who has suffered for me Mm. um, that is with me in that and has promised me an eternity that is so good that it actually means that the depths of this are nowhere near as deep Mm. as the highest highs that are promised to me in the salvation that that Jesus has won. And I think it makes me, um, in a sense, look forward to growth group this week because I think one of the questions picks up on how have you seen God at at work Mm. in your life in the highs and the lows and uh, I always just find it so encouraging to hear, you know, what how God has been at work mm. when it's been really hard, and um, and even more so for someone who's walking right now in the midst of something that they can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel, mm. um, and yet they're holding fast to God's mm. promises, and that encourages me, and and in a sense prepares me for a time where I'm, you know, um, I'm not walking in that season right now, but there's a sense in which we ought to expect it yeah, through many yeah. tribulations. Yeah, and I think that picture is so true because it's really easy to – Hollywood, Disney tells us that mm. everything's all about the happily ever after, but actually that happily ever after isn't really in the future. It's meant to be in the right now mm. is the way that they tell the story. Um, but yet there's a right perspective that we need to have. Um One of the books that I really love uh, that talks a bit about this whole thing is a book called Suffering Well by Paul Grimmond, uh, and the subtitle is The Predictable Surprise of Christian Suffering. And I think it just picks up so much that the one thing that we shouldn't be surprised about is that as Christians we suffer. Mm. Uh, We live in a world that is so marred by sin that it's broken, Mm. um, and we see the impacts of that but also that as those who follow Jesus, that we should expect uh, particular suffering that comes because we follow him. Mm. Um, And this is what he says um, in one of the chapters here. He says, The coming of Jesus teaches us so much about suffering. It teaches us that suffering has an end. There will be a day when even death will be done away with. But it also teaches us that we get to that day by belonging to Jesus. And those who belong to him must expect not only the blessings of the new creation in the age to come, but also persecution in this present time. 
It's only when we are armed with this knowledge that we will be truly ready to suffer well. Mm. It's so true. And and there's a sense in which that's that's true right now. Mm. And for us, our lives, and also for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And mm. I mean, even just thinking back to yesterday, as you were reading that, I thought I had three different people, someone in the morning who said to me, I'm getting old and I'm feeling my age now and just turning up to church is not as easy as it used mm. to be. And uh, and someone at evening church who made a comment about what it was like for her to work at her school, where both in uh, in her school and also uh, in the, the sporting ground, she's feeling pressure as a Christian um, to uh, support things that just contradict God's word, um, mm-hmm. and and actually just the day to day decisions about what's worn and and what's said and and uh, where to draw a line mm. on what she will and won't do. Um, and then someone else who just shared some news about uh, a family member that they hadn't been expecting uh, and related to a health situation that's deteriorated quickly. And um, there's a sense in which our heart is supposed to go out for our brothers mm. and sisters, but also to point them to to the God who's not abandoned them mm. um, in moments of pressure, trial and, and even in persecution. Mm, yeah. No, he is the God who is present with us Mm. in the midst of all of that and is promising us a future that is so so good Mm. but the only way to that future is actually through the suffering of this world yes which is like it's hard Mm. and yet he's he's uh, i mean it's that outwardly wasting way but being renewed day by day inwardly Mm. and reminds me of um how paul frames things in titus 2 when he says for the grace of god has appeared that offers Mm. salvation to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ so it's just that reminder, we look back to what God has done, to his grace appeared. We say no, like Joseph did, to ungodliness. And uh, and we live, as Dave reminded us, um, with uh, you know, maintaining our faithfulness, our integrity. And we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour. We're, we're living between the cross mm-hmm. and Jesus' return. Yeah. And so I think really that's a good place for us to end on this week. So I've been Mandy. I've been Seb. Join us again uh, next week as uh, Dave once again opens for us uh, Genesis. We'll be looking at chapters 42 to 47 next week. 